two weeks ago, uh, Dr. Johnson started, well, he, he gave uh, a Sunday school lesson on biblical soul care for those committing sexual sin. And then, I mean, shocker of shockers, he covered about 70% of his handout. And, um, and so I had talked to him and said, hey, we need to turn that into a two-parter because there's more to cover, there's more to flesh out. And so we had planned that and then, um, you know, pray for him. He's recovering from what's been about a week of debilitating back spasms. And so in the course of that, we're talking back and forth going, what do we do? And I just, well, if you're okay, I'll use your content to just sort of springboard um, into kind of finishing that, but also some more. And, um, and so pray for him. We had some laughs. I, I have a tendency to sort of have back issues myself, and so we were laughing about the fact that the Johnsons seem to be long-winded and weak-backed, you know, and it's just kind of the, the way it goes. But uh, the nice thing is, this is the, the start of the new Sunday school schedule, so I get you until 11 a.m. is my understanding. Um, that's kind of, no? <laughs> Ridiculous, right? Okay. Um, good. Yeah, no, we're done at 10 30. And then the service will start at 1045. Um, all right, well, let's pray and then we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for your grace in <clears throat> all of our lives. I'm thankful to you and to your spirit for the work that he does in our lives. As I look out in this room and I see, Lord, people who, who you have redeemed, adopted, and empowered, and who are ministering on your behalf to one another in wonderful ways. I'm encouraged by that, and I'm thankful for your work in that. I ask, Lord, that you would use this whole series, especially as we're heading towards a close here, that uh, you would use the series to spur us on to still greater, more tender, and more effective care for one another, that you would build your church not only in breadth, but also in depth. And that the result of that, as we love one another in these types of ways, would be just a, a magnificent demonstration of the gospel and of the change that the Holy Spirit brings in, in the means that, that He's established through Your Word. So we pray for fruitfulness in all these things. Pray for Your healing touch on Dale and that he'd uh, have a full recovery soon. And we're thankful for his investment in all of us and how we benefited from that. I pray that you continue that ministry now in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> All right. So the handout, uh, as far as the, the bulk of it, is just a reduplication from last week. And then I actually added uh, another one of the demonstrations of just kind of working through that soul care paradigm. I wanted to just provide another way. Um, for you to sort of see how you can think through these categories when you're dealing with people all along the spectrum. spectrum, And maybe it's somebody that, you know, you're, you're, you're saying, hey, we're going to meet for an hour a week and that's what we're going to talk about and we're going to be talking about specific things for you to do in the meantime and this is like a very formal, structured thing. But there's also those categories for you just to be thinking about when you're sitting down and having coffee with a friend and they're just bur un un unburdening their heart to you and you realize, wow, this is a soul care moment. How do I think through what this looks like to help somebody 
realize these are the things I need to put off and this is how I be renewed and this is what I put on and this is uh, how I need to be intentional about action in those ways. And so I wanted to give you another example of that. But we're talking about biblical soul care for those committing sexual sin and I would also add or even just struggling with sexual sin, temptations or the like, not necessarily those who are actively committing all the time. But as you, were, as you remember what uh, Dale taught a couple weeks ago, um, all of, the, of those bullet points really can kind of fit into the Ephesians 4 paradigm as well. You know, n- number one, as he talked about, know what is pure and holy. That kind of eases into both the area of be renewed, because you're thinking about biblical truth there. What does God say is holy? And you're also considering things to put on. This is what I ought to pursue because this is holiness. This is truth. If you look at number two, giving is the goal. Understanding what is the biblical purpose for sexuality. Then you're saying, okay, this is an area in which I can both be renewed and how I put on righteousness. Because if God says this is what it's about and this is what it's for, then that's, that's what I need to pursue. Not just no, 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 but yes, 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 yes to this. And so understand that even as he's talking about those points a couple of weeks ago, or did talk about them, they're all sort of fitting under those types of categories in which we can all think as we're interacting with one another. The uh, point three there regarding the sexual immorality would fall under the categories of what to put off. All of those things fit into that category. Understanding the evil one's devices, as he covered a couple weeks ago, fits into the plan of action because you need to be aware, hey, where am I going to be tempted? What sort of attacks might Satan bring and, 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 and his minions bring against me? And also, what sort of attacks is my own flesh? What sort of temptations is my own flesh going to bring about? In what sort of scenarios might I realize, wow, I'm actually putting myself in the way of temptation and stumbling as opposed to not? So understanding those things falls under that course of the plan of action. Regarding uh, point C there, if you look down at the bottom with, with self-reward, this was a real interesting point to me that I thought we could use just a couple more minutes to ponder. Because if you think about it, this is a, a Sunday school lesson regarding sexual sin, sexual immorality of one sort or another, but here he's talking about self-pity, right? Brokenness. Um, in terms of consoling brokenness and consoling anger. And so what we have to realize, both as we assess our own hearts and our own struggles and our own um, temptations, is that these are not necessarily monolithic issues, right? And the point being that sexual sin can be a, a, almost, almost a response to or a... Um, or an outspringing of other things. I am, for example, somebody, if, if all you do is deal with that, then you might not realize, you might not ask the kind of questions to help you understand that this person that you're talking to, well, I'm just so upset 
about what so-and-so has done to me, that this is how I'm, like he said there, consoling myself. I'm so disappointed by the fact that I didn't get that promotion that I cave to temptation to click on that link and indulge in that sexual fantasy. And, and, and what, what you realize is that, is that those, are, those heart issues are multitudinous and interconnected. And so there needs to be a, an awareness of that possibility. Um, brokenness. I'm so hurt by the fact that this person continues, whether it's a spouse or, or a, a significant other or a, or a roommate or whatever, I'm so hurt that this person continues to, to do this to me that I'm going to go and try to make myself feel better by list the issue. But if all you deal is list with the issue, then what you're, gonna, you're, going, to, uh, you're going to miss the fact that that person's soul needs to be cared for in those other areas. I'm angry about this, but I don't show it by blowing up. I show it by bottling it and then going and acting out in these sorts of ways. And that does not excuse the area of sexual sin, but what it does is help us all to remember that oftentimes these things can be interconnected and, and, and multifaceted in, their, um, in, in the heart issues that need to be explored. So hopefully that makes sense um, in terms of both just kind of sussing out your own heart and feelings and actions, but also in terms of your interaction with other, others, not just saying, oh, okay, that's what you did, well, stop it and do better. <laughs> kind of saying, well, so why? What's, what's going on? What's at hand? When did that happen? And what, what was going on around and before that? And, and sometimes it is just sexual sin, but Sometimes there are also things where you need to say, okay, great. Well, what we both need to realize is that there are things to put off that may seem disconnected from the world of sexual sin, and yet they feed each other. Pride, selfishness, anger, entitlement, discontentment. Right? There's so much that can be, uh, can be connected in these things. And so um, make sure... I mean, I, I, I think about the implications of that for parenting. My goodness. Parents, we need to be aware that when we're caring for our children's souls, they're not just sort of monolithic little creatures running around with only one issue or this, and then it's only this, right? We need to be considering these things of how the heart um, and its complexities all interact within themselves. All right, so understand that there can be areas where there's actually multiple heart issues and that it would be negative to that person's soul to only deal with the one sexual sin issue. If we flip over, um, the, the James 1 para paradigm was, was well covered and is very helpful as far as just helping someone, helping ourselves understand sort of the, the, the progression of lust and sin. And then point number six, the biblical remedy um, 
This is where in classic Johnson style it started to get a little rushed and maybe a little bit skippy there. Um, I hope he's live streaming right now. But what I love about this is that when he's going through this, I'm, I'm thinking, man, this is not just for sexual sin. Right, so it's it's worth kind of pausing and going back over in some ways and saying this these are these are helpful guides and helpful points for for all areas of sanctification and all areas of of life and these fall under the 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 plan of action area that we're going to talk about in just a moment really really effectively well. So when you're thinking about a biblical remedy, well, one of those things is to pursue gospel grace. And he talked a lot a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and listen to the idea of killing sin, not just sexual lust, and what it means to, uh, to, 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 to you know, if, you're, if your right hand causes you to stumble, well, cut it off and throw it far from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, then pluck it out and throw it far from you. What does that look like? What does that mean? That's something to consider. A lot of, a lot of the times we, we have a tendency to want to hold or coddle our sin, but also um, overcome it somehow. And biblically speaking, that doesn't really work out very well. What does it mean to dehabituate and then rehabituate yourself in those areas? That's putting off and putting on, but intentionally and habitually and actionally oriented. In my life, I will not go to that place because every time I go there, this happens. I won't be around this person because every time I'm around them, this happens and I'm going to be around this person or I'm going to go to this place instead or I'm going to uh, not have this in my room at such a point and I will, whatever, dehabituate and rehabituate. How do, you, how do you create righteous patterns in your life as you pattern yourself to put away those sin areas? Now, let's look real quick at, uh, open your Bibles to Colossians 3. Colossians 3. It says here, heart gratitude. And this, this ties into so many other areas uh, of Scripture that Paul and others just encourage and, and admonish and exhort thankfulness in all circumstances. That's, that's such a remedy that's such a remedy. When in the midst of any situation you stop and you give thanks to God for whatever it is, it's way harder to then continue on or to fall into further sin. But Colossians 3, verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And this is, this is crucial. Um, and in the plan of action category in that handout that I put, I say, I say plan to conquer. And part of that is realizing I do have a choice. I do have spiritual life and power in me by the Spirit of God that I can make this choice. And that's what he's saying. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. Impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Remember the judgment. 
And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. There's our paradigm again. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew and circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Look at that. He, he grounds us in our identity in Christ. The reality, the spiritual reality that we've hit so wondrously in Ephesians 1. Right? So in light of that reality, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's, again, number two, thankfulness. And then whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. There's a life-changing question for you. As I go to do this, how do I do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father? How do I go to work in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father? How do I um, talk to my neighbor in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father? How do I turn on my computer in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father? How do I interact with these people at the gym in the name of the Lord Jesus? You get the point, right? I mean, that's, that's a game changer. I'm going to do that. That's, that's good. Thankfulness, though, cultivate a heart gratitude that runs like a scarlet thread throughout life. And, and we'll find that that, that that prescription mitigates a myriad of temptations. Uh, letter C there, he writes down temptation journal, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. Talks about taking thoughts captive and those types of things. And, and so he's saying, like, look, if you, if you, Man, sometimes we move too fast in, through, and after a situation. We get through a situation where maybe we've stumbled or maybe we've fallen, and we look back and we say, oh, man, I blew it, and I'm so distressed, and we, Lord willing, repent and move on, but, but sometimes that's, that's it, and there's not, the, there's not the intentionality to say, but wait, why? How did I fall? What did I fall what, like James says, what, in what area was lust conceived? And then how in that situation did I sort of allow it the incubation time to give birth to something? And then why didn't I kill it so that it would not give way to sin? You see, but, but oftentimes we don't, have, we don't spend the time to actually do that. We don't take a pen and paper and sort of just trace those thoughts out 
or an Excel spreadsheet if you're an engineer or a canvas if you're an artist, whatever it is, the, the, the time to actually work it out. So temptation, journal, whatever that looks like, to, to, to actually just, you know, again, uh, not, not full engineering, but three columns. In this moment, I struggled with this, but here's what I should do, and here's how I can attack that. All right, uh, look at 2 Corinthians 7. This is, this is great. This is also a, a paradigm changer in terms of understanding our own responses to sin. In the midst of, of helping one another and in evaluating and, and addressing our own hearts, we need to understand how to evaluate sorrow, how to evaluate regret, how to even evaluate repentance. And this is, this is a great passage to go to regularly in your own heart and in your talk and care of those around you. So 2 Corinthians 7, uh, we will start in verse 9. No, we'll start in verse 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, it's a letter that he wrote that rebukes them. <clears throat> he says, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow though only for a while, I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful. Okay, so there's that idea of, of contrition, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Oh, interesting. So there's a contrition that leads to repentance, but there's a contrition that doesn't. And that's what he goes on to say. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For... Here, here, here comes the distinction. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Repentance meaning, you know, like, like the, the, the whole change of direction idea. You turn away from what you were sinning in and you turn towards what would be the righteousness contrary to that. And then you chase that. That's repentance, okay? And so in that repentance, it's a repentance without regret, you're not Lot's wife walking out of the city going, oh, I want to go back. That's, that's not sorrow without, or repentance without regret. That's, that's even if it, is, if it even is repentance, it's repentance with a longing for that sin. But the, 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 the sorrow that's according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation but the sorrow of the world, the contrition of the world, the, the, the Judas contrition produces death. And then he goes on, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. So here, folks, is how we evaluate sorrow. Does my sorrow and does my repentance look like this? What vindication of yourselves? I will prove that God is working. I will work out what God is working in me in this moment because I can and that's my greatest desire. What fear, God forbid that I should fall again. God, guard me from the temptation that I see within myself. Not, eh, I got it. Next time I'm in that, I can just expose myself to that again because I got this. No, that's the opposite. That is not what godly sorrow or repentance brings up in ourselves. 
Godly sorrow brings out a fear and a longing for, for righteousness, for fellowship with God, for godliness. What zeal I will, I will persecute that thing until I have the right response. That's the idea. What avenging of wrong. I sinned in that area, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take vengeance in the sense of like doing everything possible to, to address it and to make it right and to do differently in the future. In everything, you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. And so that's a, that's a very helpful paradigm to just sort of sit and say, where do you have a, a longing? Do you have a zeal? Do you have a, um, a desire to vindicate yourself? Or, you know, do you just have this, this contrition and this sorrow that you feel bad you got caught you feel bad that it's come up and, man, this is an awkward conversation and I don't really want to have it. And I see this in my kids all the time, right? And what can I say to be done with this and to, 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 uh, to, to, to move on, um, to, to make it right, but then just sort of put it behind me? Godly sorrow leads to a repentance that looks like that. So I, I'd encourage you, um, get to know this passage real well for your own soul and for the souls of those that you care for. Uh, we walked through what it looks like to pursue humi- humility, uh, which is very helpful, and then accountability in Hebrews chapter 3. Um, let's look at that real quick. Accountability in Hebrews chapter 3, it starts in verse 12. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So you hear the, the mutuality of relationship there. It's not take care, brothers, each of you for your own heart and for your own soul that you not fall away. It says take care, brothers, that there not be in any one of you. So as a community, take care that in the midst of your community, there's not an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. And how do you do that? Well, Verse 13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And there's a whole context for that word today. But the principle that today is the day for encouragement and for accountability and for help, that principle is true. Tomorrow is not the day for accountability and for encouragement and for help. Next week is not the day for accountability and encouragement and help. Today. Today. So bring accountability to one another. Invite accountability from one another. Engage accountability with each other today. That's going to be one of the things that we talk about at the men's conference is just what what exactly does that look like or what could and should it look like and what are foolish ways to approach that and what are wise ways to approach accountability, so um, hopefully that will be helpful. And then finally, growing in self-control. Flip over a a page or so in Hebrews chapter 5. He says in verse 14, he talks about solid food being for the mature, who because of practice or because of their maturity, because they have grown and because they have daily exercised their growth, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And so I want to encourage you, both in your 
your own heart, your own soul, your own growth, but also as you deal with one another, as you bear each other's burdens and, and seek to help and encourage and admonish one another, understand that this is a process and a, and a, a situation of growth. This is, a, this is a process where if you have expectations of, you know, um, insta-growth, you know, Starbucks, you got the hot water and you put the little powder in, you stir it up and you got your pot of coffee, right? No, 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 this is more like, this is more like cold brew coffee that takes a good 24 hours of working through the process to become good. Okay, this is a growth and it's a process. And so expect yourself and expect others to make progress and to grow, but, but give yourself room for grace and give yourself room for daily effort, right? Because sometimes it's very discouraging. I, I don't know why I have to work this hard. If God was really with me, if God's spirit was really in me, should I have to work this hard every day to be done with that or to overcome that? I mean, surely a believer wouldn't have to work that hard. That, that's, we hear that. I'm sure you've heard that. I'm sure you've felt that. I have felt that. But it's practice, and it's growth, and it's, it's daily grind in a certain sense. It's daily running the race, and this is in the context of Hebrews where he's talking about running the race, and it's a hard race. And these people were tempted to fall away because the Christian life was so hard. The Christian struggle was so hard. Um, and he's reminding them, hey, this is, this is a perseverance issue. And you persevere not only in the faith, but persevere in your quest for sanctification and for victory and for growth in these areas. So allow that, that there is, there is a need for daily, even hourly, even ongoing, moment-by-moment -moment effort, but that doing that will yield fruit, but also just understanding that there is a process and there is growth if we engage in that process. So all of those come together, all, like all those biblical remedies um, key into both the be renewed, but also the put on and also the, put, uh, the plan of action area. So for the next hour and a half, we're going to talk about this soul care paradigm, okay? Not really, I know. 27 minutes. Soul care paradigm, okay? Um, I took... I looked at uh, Dale's categories there of sexual immorality, and I thought, okay, we'll work through those. Those are all possibilities. And I decided to go ahead and let's, let's say the issue of struggle being homosexual thoughts or desires or actions, which is probably less rare than even we might think in our contexts, and certainly is a regular occurrence in society around us. But what's important to remember is that immediately at hand, there are different understandings, different presuppositions, different approaches that, 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 um, that hinge upon the answer to this, this first and primary question. Is the person a believer or are they not a believer? Meaning this, if the person is not a believer, for example, then homosexuality is not the primary concern. It does 
a person no eternal good, not only are they likely not even able because they don't have the Spirit within them, but it does them no eternal good, no spiritual good. It doesn't bring them a step closer to God's kingdom or to salvation to, to, to try to help them not have homosexual thoughts if they're not saved. So the gospel need is, is the primary concern when we're dealing with an unbeliever. And so that, that really leaks back all the way through this whole series. There are ways in which it'd be so awesome to be able to take these and just talk to your unbelieving neighbor. And you can talk biblical principles, but you must always bring those things back to the fact that this is entirely contingent upon a relationship with the God of the universe, and you can only have that through a, a repentance and a confession and a faith placed in Jesus and his work. And then, and then, because they're in Christ as a believer, this comes to bear. Okay, There are ways in which the wisdom of God bears fruit even in an unbeliever's life on a wisdom and on a practical basis, but it will not solve their greatest need if we try to sort of address some of the symptoms without getting at the heart. Okay, so the first question is, is that, is a person an unbeliever or a believer? If they're an unbeliever, then, then talk about the wisdom of God, talk about the truth of God, but always drive it back home to their ultimate need for reconciliation to God through Christ. And then if they have that, if they're a believer, and, I, and I'm caveating all this because these conversations are so nuanced and complex that it kind of drives it a little bit, but let's say they're a believer, Okay, the, the first, one of the first things to help a believer understand is that whatever sin they're struggling with is not their identity. Okay, there's, a, there's an idea out there specifically pertaining to this um, struggle or, 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 or to, to this, yeah, to, the, to this struggle, to this sin, is that, well, I'm a homosexual Christian. And that is not an identity of a child of God. There is no sin that we must, as children of God, say, I can't beat it, so I'm a Christian, but that's just who I am. Because in Christ, we are made new. In Christ, we are a new creature. In Christ, take Ephesians 1. That's who we are in Christ. Okay, so that's crucial. We don't identify, if we're in Christ, as anything other than being a follower of God, redeemed from the power of sin, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, and made a slave of Christ. So that, that's a crucial undergirding understanding um, that, that, that really should just be sort of a, probably a thread of just all of our regular conversations with one another. But there's also then nuances in terms of if you're talking with a believer, if you're talking with someone from church, um, in your care group, whatever, there's a significant difference between someone who you're talking to because maybe they've been caught and then someone who is confessing. And we see this in First Thessalonians 5.14, right, that we're to 
encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and admonish the unruly. So a believer who, who has been caught in something gets the admonishment. And that, that nuances and changes things. A believer who is coming and saying, I, I'm weak. I'm struggling with this. I want help with this. I need help with this. I, I mean, you can, can you hear the 1 Corinthians 7 difference of expression even? That on the one hand, there's, eh, man, you're going you're gonna to have to work to convince that there's some, some sorrow that leads to repentance in a godly way if the only reason you're having those conversations is because you got caught. But, 1 Corinthians 7, there is a, a, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance where you come and you say, brother, sister, I'm struggling with this. I want to turn away. You hear the zeal. I want to overcome this, the vindication. I want to make this right, and I'm just weak. Oh, man, that's, that's a wonderful conversation. But they're two different conversations. Okay, and I can't nuance all of that because there's just not time, and, and there's about 78 different rabbit trails depending on each different answer to each different question. But those are um, just some kind of initial thoughts about how you deal with someone in these things. But... Let's say we're talking to someone who's dealing with uh, um, the struggling issue of homosexual thoughts or desires or actions. <clears throat> like I said before, um, even in the beginning, as far as like some of those interconnected desires and, and, and struggles when we were talking about how it can, can console self-pity or brokenness or anger, you can't if someone says, you can't if someone says... I'm coming and I just wanted you to know I'm struggling with, with an attraction towards someone of my own gender. You can't say, hey, God says don't do that. So memorize this verse and stop it and you'll be better tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. Okay? That doesn't actually care for them. And that honestly is just a very superficial dealing even with the words that just came out of their mouth, all right? Because at the root of that, possibly, are even other things to put off, not just that one slice of things. Like, for example, there could be significant bitterness that needs to be dealt with and needs to be talked about and needs to be understood and then confessed and repented and, and pursued in terms of righteousness there could be significant bitterness of past relationships and disappointments. Uh, Hebrews 12 cautions us ab uh, about any root of bitterness springing up and causing defilement and by it spreading uh, like, a, like a cancer to, to many. So we have to be aware of that. There, there are other sinful, there are sinful desires in the midst of this struggle that need to be put off disoriented sexual desires or thoughts that are contrary to God's design and prescription, okay? And we can see those things in Romans 1, 24 to 27, and I know I'm not going to have time to read all these passages, so you're just going to have to go and look them up and see that that actually does address that, all right? But I love, I love the notion, and this, I love the notion of how uh, Dale constructed everything in the beginning, that we give soul care. We counsel one another biblically for the sake of rightly orienting thoughts, perspectives, desires, and actions that have been disoriented 
away from God. We do this to help each other reorient those in the proper direction. Okay, so whether that's an area of I'm struggling with this sin or whether that's an area of I'm just struggling through this trial, like we've talked about, those things have a tendency to knock our, our orientation off axis and aim in a different direction than where they should be. And so in this regard, there are disoriented sexual desires or thoughts that run contrary to God's plan for sexual desire and sexual fulfillment and sexual expression. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a will. And those things have knocked it off kilter, and so they're disoriented and need to be reoriented in the midst of this process. There could be an idolatry. It's not just, I struggle with this, so stop it and get better. It's, well, Why? What are you wanting? What are you craving? Is it, and I'm just throwing ideas down because, again, this is all based on a hypothetical conversation that I'm having with someone. But maybe they're craving certain types of approval and affirmation. I don't know. That would, you would have to ask questions. You'd have to take that onion, to quote the great movie Shrek, and peel it back layer by layer and see what's going on. You'd have to ask. Why? What's your desire? What's fueling that? What's motivating that? What are you wanting to get out of that situation? Not to just sort of say, yeah, I mean, that's understandable, but no, but to deal with that. To help them take those disoriented, idolatrous orientations and aim them in the right direction. Uh, there could be just a significant discontent aspect of that. I'm happy, I'm unhappy with the status quo of my relationships or the amount of affirmation or the fulfillment that I get from these types of relationships. I'm sick of men. I'm sick of women. I'm discontent with how they treat me and how they handle me and how these relationships have gone, so I'm going to go try something new. I, I, I don't know. Those are questions you have to ask and things you have to figure out, but then need to be addressed, not as in just, hey, stop struggling with homosexuality, but hey, recognize that there is this significant issue with discontent that's in your heart, and you're saying God doesn't know best. And God is not giving me what I want and what I deserve and what I should have and what I crave. And so you see you how, much, how much of a deeper issue even that is that, that, is, that could be so interconnected. And so in caring for one another, there's, there's this process of really just understanding what's going on. And yes, you can have these types of conversations over lunch. Not just, you know, in an office. We don't use couches, but in an office with a chair and a desk. It's all the time. Questions. We should do another Sunday school lesson. I keep thinking of things we should do in the course of this, but questions are so crucial. Learn to ask good questions of one another. The open-ended, um, non... My kids hate these questions. The non-yes or no questions, and sometimes they know they're coming because I'm sitting there and they can see my wheels spinning. How do I ask this question so they can't just say yes or no <laughs> or fine or good? You know, uh, it's the classic, you know, hey, how was your day? Good. Good talk. You know? <laughs> okay. So you're trying to ask different questions. Same thing here. You can't just say, um, did you struggle this past week? No. Sort of. Yes. Not helpful, okay? So you got to learn to ask questions. Why did you do that? 
in what ways, in what areas, um, what, what did you want? Were there things that, that, that drew you to, the, you know, asking questions and not making assumptions and not presuming upon a personal or a motive or an expression or anything like that? Okay, uh, Selfishness is an area that may need to be put off in this hypothetical situation as well. I feel this, and so that's right. We hear that even in society all the time, you know, in, in very publicized situations of, I just fell out of love with that person. So, of course, God doesn't want me to be married to them anymore. He wants me to be happy. God's will, feelings, trump. You hear that in that thought? So, my selfishness in this situation, my desire for this person trumps then God's prescription and God's design and God's will. And that is, that is a sin in and of itself, selfishness that then causes us to subordinate God and His will to our own. That's a sin in and of itself that, that is tremendously at the core of this hypothetical situation. All right, so then we're looking at ways to be renewed. And if I can summarize... See, we need an hour and a half Sunday school lesson. An hour is not even enough. No, I'm kidding. I didn't think I would actually read all these anyway. My goal in this was to give you just a, a practical, physical example of what would this look like. And hopefully you can see here, this is not like a one-time conversation. This is like weeks and weeks of conversations of, okay, let's talk about this point and, and this verse and, and, and what to do. And, you know, it's, it's weeks of bearing one another's burden and processing that with each other. But Hebrews and, and Mark talk about God's design for marriage and God's design for sexuality. Um, Romans 6 talks about the truth that we are not slaves to sin, which you'll hear a lot in a situation. Oh, I just can't kick this. Um, I just can't beat this. And you're like, yes, you can. Otherwise, God's a liar, <laughs> which is one way to put it and one way to help somebody realize, wow, that's what I'm saying? Okay. Um, I, re I, re I read a great, great illustration. There was a guy who was a, his name's David Haig. He wrote a book called The Obedience Option, was a game changer for me uh, right after graduating college. And, and he gives an illustration. He was the chaplain for a football team. And you can only imagine how this comes out in, in the midst of college athletics. He was the chaplain for a football team. And he said a guy came and he was, he was confessing to him and asking for help regarding um, sleeping with his girlfriend. And, and he was saying, I, I just, I can't beat it. I can't overcome this temptation. And this is just so gut-level practical. But the chaplain, he said, okay, we'll call him Frank, because that's what I name everybody. Frank, if you are about to have sex with your girlfriend, and I walk in, and I offer you $10,000 to stop it, and to not do that, and to leave the room, what would you do? And then the football player said, man, I'd take that money and I'd be out of there so fast. And the pastor goes, huh, so you can make the different choice. <laughs> See, it's all about motive. It's all about desire. It's all about what drives us. 
And it's all about, in Romans 6, realizing that we have the power and the freedom from sin and the enslavement to God that enables that, but we have a tendency to sort of want to syn um, synchronize both and have both, syncretize, that's the word. Galatians 5, uh, in terms of just being renewed, understanding the difference between the fruits of the flesh or the, the, uh, the desires of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, understanding that even this is an area, just like whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God's glory, uh, understanding ourselves and understand, helping each other understand that this is an area where God's glory is at stake. Do you care? If not, we have more conversations to have. If you do, then how do we help you be refreshed in that? And how do we help you remember that, which is then the plan of action? Memorize something so that it's sitting in there and you're meditating on it over the course of life. So then there's, there's those distilled principles from those passages that God has designed and laid boundaries for marriage and sexuality. That sin in this area is to be dealt with, not just sort of rationalized or justified or, or anything like that. That sin in this area is to be viewed with hopefulness. You can overcome it. You can make different choices. And you can have victory. You can. Isn't that gracious of God? We are not hopeless. And that this area of life is an opportunity to glorify God and exercise of faith and should be pursued as such. Which is why, again, the biblical wisdom of giving thanks in all circumstances is huge. Hard to pursue sin when you're stopping and trying to give thanks to the Lord in the midst of whatever situation you're experiencing temptation. So then based upon those be renewed and the put off things, then you would help this person or yourself have times of repentance and consecration. But notice, like even, even just what this assumes, even just what this assumes is that if someone were to say to us in our pews, in our relationships, hey, I'm struggling with homosexual thoughts or desires. You know what this assumes? Is that we don't push them away is that we don't then condemn them or judge them. We don't say, how could you? Right? We, we, we understand that sin is sin and that we're all in the same boat of process and, and struggle. And, and that is our, one of our purposes is to is to care for one another and to bear one another's burden in and through this. And you can understand that this is not just a, you know, smack them in the face, tell them to do better and try harder and you'll be okay. This is, this is a process of how we bear one another's burdens because to help, and let's look at the put on category, to help each other understand what it means to pursue forgiveness in situations that there may have been some bitterness, that's going to take some time. To help someone, to help each other understand what it means to prioritize godliness in this scenario is going to be a process that we have to be able, able to diligently walk with one another through. What does it mean to discipline your body and mind to conformity with God's will in this area? And I'm brother or sister in my care group. How do you do that? Let's talk about that. What does it mean then to put on the worship 
That is so much of an antidote. What does it mean to abide with Jesus in and through every circumstance? How, how do you cultivate a relationship with him via personal communion with God that is more than just a checkbox item to do? We have to walk with one another. We have to help each other learn those things and, and embrace those things. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have had your burdens borne. You have had people process that with you. God, through his spirit, has, has ministered in your life by your brothers and sisters caring for you in this sort of a way. I would say, pass it on. Take that and do it to somebody else. Make sure that you understand that, that ministry and, and, and then minister to others in those sort of ways. And then, I mean, going on down through the list, and then you've got the idea of memorizing, you know, again, and this is not like you memorize one passage and you're done with an issue. This is, you know, hey, for this week or two, work on memorizing this, and we're going to prayerfully attack this area of wrong thinking and seek to replace it with right thinking and wrong action and right action, and, and here's how we're going to do it. You strategize, okay, so... You know, and the classic example would be like a, like, a, like a pornography situation. You strategize, all right, how are you going to avoid those temptations? You plan to flee. Such and such a scenario I will avoid. I will not have a personal electronic device in my bedroom or I will not be whatever. You know, frankly, the, the whole little like filter thingies are not so helpful nowadays. So you need to be harder and, and more astute than that. And at such and such a time, I will pray regularly and quickly, and I will plan to conquer. I will give thanks to God for, for people around you. Instead of desiring that person, I'm going to take that wrong desire, and I'm going to reorient it towards giving godly thanks for who they are and what God has done and how he then has equipped me to have a right relationship with them. You pursue right understanding and mentorship, and part of that is enlisting support. Um, That enlisting support is, is crucial. We've talked about this from Hebrews in the past, and we've seen it in Ephesians so much already. This isn't a solo sport. Christian living is not a solo race. It's a, it's a team endeavor, and we have to be willing both to enlist support, and we have to be enlistable for support. Okay, because this is a ministry that God calls each and every one of you, hearken back to the beginning of this series, God calls each one of us to bear one another's burdens. And that's one of the reasons we have the care groups. It's not the only way, but it is a way. But no matter where you're at, you need to press into the relationships around you in such a way that you have access to people, whether it's in this area or in another area where you can say, brother, I need help. Because we're all weak in some area. We're all faint-hearted in some area. So better to en 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 enlist help and accountability and encouragement before we become unruly in that area and need admonishment. All right? Be quick to, to turn to each other in those things and be quick to help one another and be uh, persevering in your help for one another. And God... God will do amazing, amazing things. Let's pray. Lord, we give all of this to you.
the whole, the whole class as a whole, the, the relationships within this church, the community within this church. Help us, Lord, to, <clears throat> to love one another, to enjoy one another, to really just be amazed at the quality of, of friendships and joy there is in being a church body, but also to be cognizant and purposeful to understand and then to implement Lord, your plan for our church body, which is to pursue sweet and deep fellowship in Christ, which means rejoicing in the riches of who he is, but also means hating sin, being willing then as a result to to put it off and to help each other put it off and to confess it to one another and to pray for one another and to bear one another's burdens. Lord, we do all of this in gratitude, knowing that you are ultimately at work in us as your children. And that's a grace and a gift that we don't deserve, but salvation that you offer is so marvelous to, to grant that. And so we thank you and praise you for that. Ask that you help us to just be diligent and intentional, Lord, to seek one another out, to spur each other on to love and to good deeds. <clears throat> and we give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.